0: All right. Well, uh, fellas, you just saw that. I want to uh, invite you to come join us to the Men's Retreat. Um, as you know, we're Friendship Church. We're one church, two campuses, and and it's not competition between Shakopee and Prior Lake. But if it were, let's win, okay? so. So uh, anyways, would love to have you come out and join us for uh, this retreat. It's, a, it's going to be an amazing time. Uh, my heart is encouraged, and uh, I'd love to spend some time with you at that. It was really funny to hear uh, Thomas say, uh, it's the weekend before the Super Bowl. It's also the weekend before Valentine's Day, but, you know, Super Bowl. We better pray. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. We recognize, Lord, that you are good. And, um, Lord, as we come before you today, we're going to be talking about some hard things, some difficult things. Leaving idolatry and walking in faith. Lord, of being in crossroads of that faith and having to make some big decisions, some difficult decisions. Of who we're going to be. And how we are going to allow you to work in us and through us. And so, Lord, I I I would pray right now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. That today, it wouldn't be about, um, I don't know, winning a heart debate. But rather, Lord, a spiritual transformation that occurs because of an interaction with a holy God. Would you meet us today today? We would invite you to speak to us corporately, but also individually. And that as you do, Lord, you would, um, you would help us to be able to walk this step of faith in a very tangible way, that it wouldn't just be information floating around in our head. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to our new series, When God Says Jump. And uh, we'll be looking at the life of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And uh, we'll be talking about that in the days to come for sure. We'll be in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, we will have the slides up on the screen. But I always want to encourage people to bring your Bible, uh, open it up, get engaged with it, highlight, underline, write notes off to the side. Those are very important things and and a part of just our our spiritual habit that we can have. If you brought your phones, your your Bible is on your phone, that's okay. My step of faith today is trusting that you're actually using it for your Bible and not other things. So, hey, we're all walking in faith today. That's great. Um, We're in Genesis chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you Mm, nearly 20 years ago, I read a book called Experiencing God. Experiencing God takes some biblical principles and outlines those principles that are used throughout scriptures in people's lives individually and situations individually, but also corporately uh, big principles that are understood and can be lived out by the believer, the follower of Christ, day to day. And so as we talk about when God says jump... We want to pause and consider those principles, because these principles are actually going to be uh, connected to the life of Abram throughout our time, and our, our lives as well. When I go to these slides in just a moment, I would encourage you to take a picture of them. If, um, uh, well, you'll see why later. Okay. <laughs> so, Henry Blackbee and Claude King uh, wrote the book, Experiencing God, and in it, they outlined some Basic principles. And I want to talk about those as we go. The first one, God is always at work around you. I, I love that. Like that, that is a truth that we all need. I think sometimes in our egocentric culture, it's very easy for us to assume that I'm, I'm kind of bringing God with me wherever I go. As if he hadn't been there before. You know, like, Oh, thanks for introducing me into this situation, Kenny. I hadn't ever considered this. Nope. God is at work around us. He's already been there before you got there. He's intimately aware of the situations around us all over. And he is at work. And he has a work that is dependent on him. Separate from uh, being dependent on me to do his work. God is always at work around you. Secondly... God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Isn't it, uh, like, like, let that just kind of fall on your heart. That there is this perfect, beautiful, wonderful, loving, kind, just God and that he would pursue a relationship with you. Like, he wants that with you. It's not just, like, I'm God and you need to come to me. Yeah, there's that piece. But there's also this God who is seeking us out and meeting us in a variety of ways in our world in real time. God pursues a continuing loving relationship with you. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Again, amazing, beautiful thing. God could just do it or he could snap his finger. I mean, he spoke and worlds were created. Uh, he can fix anything. He can do anything. But he chooses to use us as a part of his plan. What an amazing God that he would allow people to be a part of that. And we get to join him in that place. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. That's a very important piece. First of all, God is not silent. That's important. But also, I think, I think for everybody, and I often hear this, how do I know I'm hearing God? How do I know that's God? Well, first of all, God is always going to match his word. right? What he says in his word, what he teaches in his word, is going to be consistent with anything that we would receive or understand or a nudge that we would have in our prayer time. So, if you came and said, hmm, I think God wants me to go on a three-state killing spree, I'd say, guess what? That's not consistent with his word. That's probably not God. Don't do that. Right? But if you said, you know what? I think God maybe wants me to love my neighbor. And I know that they love gifts. So I'm going to go over and take a gift to my neighbor to love them. I'd say, yeah, you know what? That sounds like something God might tell you. Next. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Love that point. This is a point that is often missing in Western Christianity. Okay, I received Jesus as my Savior. I'm following him. I'm reading his word. Now everything should be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. There should never be a problem, and that's not the way it works. And so many people end up falling away from Christ because they forget this piece, Guess what? When you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be tough sometimes. And it's going to be hard. And you're constantly and consistently going to be coming to some crossroads in your life where you're going to have to decide, is it faith or is it fear? What's it going to be? I I have to decide. God's calling me to faith, but everything in me is fearful. What do I do? And that's a place of crisis. It's real and it's true for every believer. The specific passage that we have there is when Jesus calls his disciples and he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, you have to drop your nets and I will, there's a work of God, make you fishers of men. So they're joining him on mission together. Dropping their nets. It's a crisis. What do they do? Continuing on. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You're gonna see that today with Abram. But I would encourage you to also be considering that in your own heart. What does that mean? What does that mean of me? What what is my step of faith in this place? You come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. So, too many times, Christianity is just left to our brains. That's wrong. Let me just say it. It's wrong. If all we know of God is information, then, then we're missing the point. It's also an experience. If we go throughout the United States and we look at theological departments in universities, you will find an amazing amount of people who teach theology who don't even believe there's a God. That, that's frightening. That's terrifying. But it's a reality. And part of that reality is because it's just information. It's not experience. Uh, It's not applying that information. It's not living it out and it's not seeking God in those places. And so Blackaby and King bring that out in their book, Experiencing God, and we're going to see that woven throughout the scriptures that, uh, that we read today. We're going to stop short of seeing all of these played out, and that's how it'll be throughout this series. One of these will kind of come to the front and we'll grab a hold of it and go, oh yeah, I see that. And and at other times, uh, that won't be present in our discussion. So just be aware of that as we move forward. We're in Genesis chapter 12. And if you're not there yet, I want to set this up. There is a way that we think right now that is affected by our culture and the world that we live in. We have words that we use. I mean, if we go back... 25 years we didn't use the word google now who doesn't know what that word means right i googled it that 25 years ago you'd sound like a freak you know like you did what are you okay is everything going to work out i'm concerned for you you googled something um so so our world is affected by the culture that we live in and we think dynamically different than in the first century As we walk through this passage today, we're going to get the opportunity to outline some things. So, in the West, we often outline, okay, there's a main idea. There's point one, two, and three, and under each point is A, B, and C. And then there's a conclusion. We often think like that. It's not a bad way to think. It's just how we think. But that is also, we have to recognize, that is also not necessarily the way that the Scriptures were written because they were written to a people who thought differently. For example... Uh, your name may or may not have a meaning. And for you personally, it may not matter. Like, you don't care. That would never, ever be the case in the ancient world. Every name had a meaning. And in uh, Jewish culture, they believed that God uniquely gave parents a prophetic message to give a name to their children, that it it would play out, it would mean something. So also... When we're reading Semitic literature, it's important for us to understand that proper names mean something. And those proper names are in part, driven by the Holy Spirit and the culture that this was given, in part are directing us and informing us on the passage. So what we're going to find out as we look at a few of the proper names, we're not going to go through all of them, we just don't have time, but I'm going to highlight a few of those as we go. And you'll see it's informing the passage to better understand God and his plan, so that we can better live out this walk with God. So be aware of that as we jump in. We're in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We'll uh, read through uh, this section. So first of all, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Let's stop there. Note a couple of things. God doesn't say, go from your country, oh, uh, you need to leave at five o'clock, and then at, five, at, at six o'clock, you're going to meet some families that you'll also travel along with, and then at seven o'clock, you're going to stop and have a meal. By midnight, you're going to stop and camp and you'll camp with some people that you'll know. But you protect yourself because there are some, some savory characters out there and you need to be careful. He doesn't go into all that detail. All he says is go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You don't even know where he's going yet. So wait, God, you want me to leave everything that I know, everything that I'm a part of, And you want me to go to a place that I've never seen, and a place that I can't communicate to my family even? That sounds weird, right? We would agree with that. So, something else you may want to know. Something else you may want to know is that Abram grows up in an idolatrous nation, uh, an idolatrous country that's a, a part of his family's heritage, is idols, don't miss the message that is being spoken here. I want you to leave this idolatry and follow me. I'm not giving you all the pieces to the puzzle. I just want you to follow me. So follow me. In biblical terms, we would use a term repentance. Leaving idolatry, those things that we put in front of God, and following God. Idolatry, Following God, it's called repentance. Lord, there's a better way, and I choose to follow you. Let's keep going. And, and as we go through this piece, watch and see the I wills. It's God speaking. God is going to do some work. He's going to do some work that Abram doesn't have to do. God's saying, I got this. I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this. Watch and see. Here we start. So, I will show you, God will and I will make you of a and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot with him Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let's stop there. 75? Like when you read this, when I read this initially, a long time ago I thought, oh yeah, we're talking about, you know, early 20s. They must have just got married or something. No, he's been living in that land for a long time. He's grown up. uh, He's in that retirement age, right? And God is saying, guess what? I have something for you. And uh, I'm sending you away. Can you imagine that discussion with people? Yeah, so I'm, I'm moving. Oh, like across the street? No, I'm not even sure where. Uh, but I'm leaving this nation of idols, and I'm following a God who none of us know. We don't even know who he is. Huh. Uh, that would be a very difficult thing. Consider that as we continue to walk on, okay? So he's 75 years old, his wife's 10 years younger, she's 65. I don't know, they're doing this primarily on foot. Maybe there's something to a carriage that's carrying them, but what a trick. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. By the way, some of those words would lead, lead to the illusion of an adventure. There are highlands and lowlands that are identified in the original Hebrew. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. Shechem means back or shoulder. So they have this idea of uh, what's behind you? Again, they think dynamically different. They thought dynamically different than we think. This idea of Shechem is a reminder that the Holy Spirit is woven into the scriptures. Oh, there's something behind you. What's behind them? Idolatry. It becomes a little more clear as the passage unfolds in front of us. To the oak of Mora. Interesting, it means teaching. So we get the idea that uh, there's, going, there's going to be a lesson here. <laughs> Get ready. We're about to learn a lesson. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. You can kind of see the map on the side treks that. Uh, not exactly a straight uh, shot, but one that's around water, which was very important in the Middle East, I'm told. Okay, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. This is called a theophany, the appearance of God. It seems that God shows up in the flesh. It's very rare. That happens throughout scriptures. There are times when God shows up. Uh, He appears to people in a physical sort of manifestation. It, It happens sometimes in scripture. Hasn't happened in my life. Perhaps hasn't happened in your life. Uh, partly because we have the Bible, right? It's been given to us. God's word has been given to us. Uh, we, don't, we don't need that. The word is being developed in Abram's time. So uh, he appears to Abram and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So in this place, he builds this altar. It's a place of sacrifice and it's an identifier. People walk by it and go, whoa. There's an altar there. I wonder what happened. There's a story associated with it so that the people around them know, well, this God spoke to a guy named Abram, and he said that to his offspring he's given this land. That, that was a part of the significance of building an altar in that place, a part of it. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. Bethel's a compound word. It means house of God. So he's come to this place, this house of God. And pitched his tent. If you're underlining things in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline Bethel and underline pitched his tent. It's a, phrase, it's a, a Semitic phrase that's used. It's also used in the New Testament about Jesus coming and dwelling among us. The, the literal Greek is he pitched his tent among us. He dwelt with us. Almost as if Jesus is showing us uh, uh, like this new Abrahamic way how to really walk in faith in the new testament so with bethel at the west and ai on the east ai is a funny word uh, it it means heap of ruin so don't miss the picture abram has come to a place where there is the house of god and there's a heap of ruin and he's right between them and he has to make a decision in the next section of the scripture, we see how that, how that unfolds. But right now, we know that he is at a crossroads. He's been on this adventure where he's turned from idolatry and walked towards God in faith. But now he's at an intersection. Will it be the house of God? Or will it be a heap of ruin? What will I decide? Where will I move towards? How will I join God in faith? Bethel? Or in fear, AI, a heap of ruin. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going towards the Negev. So, let's look at God's work. Sorry, I promise it's sinus drainage. Everybody, relax. Okay, Uh, God's work and message. Let's look at God's work. God says, "I will make you a great nation." By the way, I know uh, uh, Pastor Mike Golay. This, like this is a sweet spot on him, and uh, I'm gonna. I, I think he's going to be here sometime. Uh, he doesn't know that yet, so don't tell him I told you. Uh, <laughs> but he's gonna be here sometime, and he's gonna share some more. But uh, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. These are these are God's. It's not. This is God's work. I will do this. I will make your name great. Uh, and then he says, be a blessing. That's what you will be. There's an imperative there. It's expressing an invitation to Abram. It's unique. You will be a blessing. I'm inviting you to be this blessing. I'm going to do this other stuff. I'm inviting you to this. I will bless those who bless you. These are God's promises. Things that God will do for Abram. One of the principles that we can pull away is that God still is at work. And God is still at work in the lives of those who choose to follow him, who walk out of a place of idolatry and toward a place of faith. But there is a response. Like each of us have a response. Again, in the West, we like to keep it intellectual, informational. I know that. I understand that. I know that and I understand that does not translate into faith always. So we have to be cautious and be wise about that because it does require some action. The first step uh, for him is go. Well, is it uh, the first step is really faith? He tells him to go. But I'm choosing to trust you, God. I'm going to go from idols Idol making, uh, idol exchanging, a land of idolatry. You're the best, Rachel. Thank you so much. Yep, awesome. Uh, idol making. Uh, my family that is in 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 in, uh, uh, in this land is ingrained in this. I'm leaving all of that to follow this God that I don't fully know or understand. Uh, he's a mystery to me, but I'm going to follow him. I'm choosing him. So he goes. There's an action associated with it. So let's start, first of all, with this issue of idols. So an idol, as I said, is anything that we put in front of God. That's the first thing. We recognize it as it's a desire that becomes a demand, that becomes judgment, that becomes punishment. Um, Peacemakers Ministries identifies this process. It's a desire, demand, judgment, punishment. A desire isn't necessarily bad. Uh, a demand isn't necessarily bad. Judgment might not even be bad. It's a fuzzy area. But then when it becomes punishment, well, that, that's God's. God is the punisher, not us. We know that it's crossed over. So you might be saying, well, what, what, is, what is punishment? What would be an example of that? So punishment, it, it could be in the form of an argument or a fight, it certainly could be. Uh, it could also be in the forms of this one. Maybe you've seen this before. Did you catch that? Watch the eyes. Did you you see it? That's also punishment. Uh, There was a desire that I had, a demand that I enforced, a judgment that was given, and a punishment. And it can be that simple and it can happen that quickly. It's identified in some major categories, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Or if we want to make it maybe in in more tangible terms for us, it would be satisfaction. I want to be satisfied. I want to be... uh, uh, I I want what I want, and I want the fullness of what I want. In this place of satisfaction, it's where we uh, medicate with drugs or alcohol or food. Uh, it, it's it's an abundance, it's an abuse of, it's satisfaction. I want satisfaction over wanting the Lord. And I'm willing to judge and punish to get what I want. Satisfaction. Significance. Significance is another one. And it may be, and I'll give you a personal one. This happened just mm, not too long ago. Uh, and and I'll, just so you know, I've repented since then, but but I'm going to share it with you, okay? So someone said something that was, it was kind of condescending. It a little bit frustrated me. Uh, it didn't a little bit frustrate me. It really agitated me. It got under my skin. Um, and as I started to pry and push back a little bit just before I said things that I wish I wouldn't have said, um, I realized that's not at all what they meant, I'm like, my ears are turning red for absolutely no reason. Why? Because I wanted significance and I felt like that they were being disrespectful in that situation. And when I felt disrespected, I started to walk through this path really quick and I was just about to punish with my words and attitude when I realized the truth of the situation. It required repentance. But that's... That's idolatry. That's an idol. And then the final piece is security. Security would be another broader category that we wrestle through. It's the um, it's kind of the get out of jail free card, to be honest with you, because in our culture, we love security and we plan ahead and we process ahead and we work hard to get ahead so that we have security. But it's also a get out of hell free card. It's like uh, Well, I'm just really not comfortable with that. Well, okay, but did you pray about it? And is it God's word? (laughs) Because those are actually bigger factors than if you feel comfortable with it. So security is another piece of this idolatry that we have to be careful and we need to walk away from, we need to go. So as Abram is going, he finds himself at that crossroads Bethel on one side, the house of God, Ai, on the other side, that is this heap of ruins. And he has to make some decisions. Where am I going to keep my tent? I've pitched it between them, which is an uncomfortable place to be because you're affected by this place and you're affected by this place. And you need to just make a decision. And we're going to find out next time what that decision is. But we're going to cross over now and start to apply some of this in our own world. As we look at these principles from BlackBee, God is always at work. Do you see God at work in your life? There's a mysterious work of God that he is doing around you, perhaps even in you, perhaps in spite of you. Like all of those things can be true at once. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you. Has it occurred to us that God is... Is actually whatever situation we're in, he's actually there to pursue a relationship with you. Even even cancer, Kenny? Yep, yep. Maybe even cancer. Uh, even the loss of a job? Yep, maybe. Uh, even even a broken relationship? Yep. Conflict? Absolutely. Maybe God is there in part to to get to know you better, to invite you into this relationship, because he's pursuing us in that place. God invites you to become involved with his work. Has that been something that has crossed our paths? Or have we compartmentalized, this is my work at, uh, in the office, or this is my work at school, or this is my work, you know, but on Sundays I go and worship. No, no, this is all sacred. And God is a part of all of it and wants to invite us into those and wants to be invited into those places to work to work out his good and his salvation in our lives and the lives of others. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances and the church to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. It's I I love this reality. Sometimes, as a pastor, I get to have some wonderful conversations. And, and for those of you who have allowed me to speak into your life and pray with you and, and love you through some difficult things, thank you. It's, it really is an honor. One of those things that comes up often is, what is God's plan? I love that. Oftentimes, we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, 18, and sometimes even 19, and it says this, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, yeah, but I was just wondering, like, what job I should take, Kenny. Yeah, I just told you God's will. Be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, but, (laughs) Kenny, what I want to know is, should I take the job or not? Right, I understand. Be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What? We're going to the word of God and we're looking at God's word and very honestly, in many cases, with very little exception, though there are some, it's like, like, hey, in this place, I don't pick this job or this job. Can you be joyful doing it? Will you pray in this place? Will you be thankful in this place? God reveals himself. And we get to know about his personality through the word, uh, through prayer, and circumstances. And God is good to us in that. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Let me just say that really clearly. We all are going to come to crossroads that are going to be difficult. They're going to hurt, and many times they won't make sense. And sometimes they won't even make sense on this side of eternity. They just won't. Yep, it's a crisis of faith. Yep, it's going to be hard. And if for some reason you got this idea that once you receive Jesus as your Savior, once you chose to follow God, it is going to be easy, please hear me, it will not be. And that's actually a good thing. Because we'll experience God in some ways at those painful intersections of faith and fear that we would never experience him on our own if everything was just paved and smooth. And what an amazing God that in those places he still meets us. I love that about him. And he invites us uh, uh, to follow him, but it's faith and action. It's not just information, there's also action associated with it. And sometimes that action is be still and know that I'm God because you're too busy and you do too much and you need to settle down because actually it depends on God and not you and that's reality. And sometimes that action is to get up out of this land of idolatry and follow him on the next step. And that next step for you may be baptism. That next step for you may be sharing your faith. That next step for you may be telling somebody no. It may be telling somebody who lives in this land of idols, I can't be here anymore. But it requires action. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God and what he is doing. One of the things that we see that, that is kind of woven in this is for Abram, (laughs) <laughs> to To leave the land of Ur of the Chaldees, he he has to make some plans. Like he can't just. There's a lot associated with this. It, it wasn't like, okay, God spoke to me Sunday at two. I think by three thirty we could get everything together and go across the desert. Yeah, that's nope. He has to plan that out, uh, and and there are some major adjustments. Conversations he has to have, preparation he has to make, thoughtfulness, conversation, engagement like all of those things have to happen. And then you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. The journey wasn't over when he's in this crossroads of Bethel and Ai, it's it's not done. He's still on the journey. And let me suggest that for all of us, we're still on this journey. Like We're not done yet. The worship team is going to come out. And as they come out, I want to challenge us to pause before God and to say, where where are we at? Are there any idols, satisfaction, significance, security that we're we're playing around in this land that we need to leave? It's called repentance. God, forgive me because I've sinned against you. Help me to follow you in faith on this next step. And it's just the next step. like like Just follow him to the next step. And then there'll be another one, and another one. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, what might that be for you? Uh, Just so you're aware, communion, we have these four sections, four stations, rather, and they're broken up in the room uh, so that you're able to go to the station that's nearest to you, you can go down the carpeted area to the station that's nearest to you, and then return on the outside to uh, to your seat. But we specifically have to pause because we've been commanded to do so. And the first thing is this: Am I actually a follower of Jesus? Like, have I have I really received Jesus in my life? Not just informationally, but I experience. I live Him out. I've repented. And I've chosen to follow him. So that's the first step. And then the second step is this. Is there any unconfessed sin? And if there is sin, then we confess it before the Lord. Then you're free to get your elements and return to your seat. Or you may want to get the elements, return to your seat, and consider those things before you participate. At the end of the next worship song, we'll come back together and we'll all participate together um, together. uh, and 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 spend a moment in prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we do praise you. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that there uh, that there are examples and scriptures of some very practical ways of of how to live out our faith. And some of those things are right in front of us, and we can very easily read over them and miss miss the point. So. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that we would be uh, obeyers of your word, not just hearers, but that also we would live it out, not to earn our salvation, but to follow you in obedience, that you would be glorified and you would be honored. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.